0: In many ways, the pandemic isn't really over. Lots of people are still working from home. Cases are yet again on the rise. And aside from the occasional convention, San Francisco's downtown neighborhoods are pretty empty. That means one of the city's most popular attractions is still not out of the woods. It's restaurant industry.
1: A restaurant is much like a marriage. It can look really good from the outside when you're there between like seven and eight o'clock on a Friday and Saturday night, let's say, right? But you have no idea what's really going on behind the scenes.
0: This is Lori Thomas, head of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. She's also a restaurant owner of Rose's Cafe and Terzo and Cow Hollow. She says for restaurants, it's gotten harder and harder to do business.
1: Now, it's not exact for everybody, right? But for every dollar that came into a restaurant, the restaurant keeps five cents. Oof. Right, so that's before the pandemic. Now think what's happened in just the past 12 months, right? I've been watching the CPIs and the PCEs and the inflation, and like all of our costs have gone way up, right? Like 25%, our labor, our food, our wine, our, our utility costs, right?
0: I'm Laura Wenis. This week, the business side of the food industry has always been challenging, and the pandemic has made that even harder. We'll hear from a restaurant owner who did his best to hang on and still had to close. Governments tried to rescue businesses, but the coronavirus seems to have permanently changed the game. So what's the next move for the local food scene? From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. A couple weeks ago, SF Next reporter Noah Arroyo took a walk a few blocks from the Chronicle office to visit a local Italian restaurant specializing in Neapolitan pizza.
2: Okay, we are now rolling. So I guess first, could you just tell me who are you and tell me about yourself? Yeah, I'm Bruce Hill. I'm chef-owner of Zero Zero Restaurant. I've been a chef in the Bay Area since 1985. I started my career as a prep cook, and that was how I got everything started here in San Francisco.
0: This interview did not take place on a good day for Hill, unfortunately. The little bit of background noise you can hear? That's workers packing away the kitchen. His restaurant was shutting down. Zero Zero's last day
2: was November 12th. The last nine days when we announced our closing, it was really gratifying to see so many people want to come back. And also a lot of former staff came back. And on the last night, on the Saturday night, I had a table of 16 former staff and we all hung out after service and we drank champagne together and felt the love. So that was a high point for sure.
0: It had started out really well back in 2010 including getting a big thumbs up from the Chronicle's restaurant
2: critic. We opened to great fanfare. We got wonderful reviews from Michael Bauer, and we were instantly successful. Had a full house by 6 o'clock, 6.30 every night. Did a decent lunch business every day. And really, we were off to a great start. And then through 2012 and into the 2016s, we just rolled. Everything was good. Business was good. We had good convention business. And really, everything went pretty well all the way up until 2019, at which point I actually bought my business partners out of this restaurant. And I took complete ownership of it and basically took a lot of my savings to buy this business.
0: And then, well, you know what happened in 2020.
2: We had 56 staff when COVID hit and we laid off all but 12 people. All but 12 people. Yeah, all but 12 people. What was your feeling at the time when you realized that you would have to cut staff? Oh, it was horrible. It was terrible. That day that I Brought everybody in. Yeah. Emotional. Yeah. How did they take it? I would say pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Pretty well. Yeah, considering. What happened to them? Do you know? Oh, a lot of them ended up just at other restaurants. Many of them left the Bay Area altogether. Mm. I mean, I would say the majority just simply left. Yeah. It was too expensive to live here without a job. Some of them ended up coming back. You know, Over time, we were able to hire some of them back. One of my guys, Manuel, he was a a pizziolo. He passed from COVID. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, so that was definitely one of the, it sounds like maybe the low point for, for you and for the staff here at Zero Zero. It was one low point. I have to say there's been a lot of ups and downs.
0: It didn't take long for Hill to start looking for solutions. Zero Zero got its first Paycheck Protection Program loan around May 2020.
2: And to be honest, that kind of put me at ease. You know, the whole pandemic timeline, if you look back, in 2020, we were hopeful that things would be back to normal again by the fall. You know, we're thinking, oh, you know, we'll make it through and then we'll be able to open up again. And as we all know, it just kept going and going. Hill
0: was able to get another PPP loan and to get a decent chunk forgiven. But you have to spend the PPP loan money in order to get it forgiven, and Hill wanted to keep some money on hand to make sure he could pay his staff. So now he's on the hook. He tried to also get grants from a federal program called the Restaurant Revitalization Fund.
2: The whole idea was that this RRF program that came after would fix all that. However, as we all know, the government didn't put enough money in that program, and The sad part is that they gave out huge amounts of money to certain restaurants and none to other restaurants. There was actually an article in the Examiner last fall. I I saved that one because it shows like, oh, these guys got $10 million. These guys got $5 million, you know? And we're talking about does government work and how does government work? And I think we have to look at that example and say, wow, you know, this was a quick fix idea that wasn't really thought out properly.
0: This was a program initially prioritized for businesses run by women, military veterans, and people of color. Later on, grants were supposed to change to a first-come, first-served approval basis, but a New York Times investigation showed that didn't happen. Regardless, restaurants needed help, and Mayor London Breed joined two dozen other mayors in asking federal lawmakers to put more money in this fund. It didn't work. In May, the Senate rejected a bill that would have added $40 billion to the restaurant fund— on the same day that they approved about that same amount, an aid to Ukraine. Back in San Francisco's Soma neighborhood, Bruce Hill isn't optimistic that the clientele will return.
2: What we really need to thrive again is a really solid convention calendar. We need a lot of office workers in this area to come in for lunch and cocktails in the afternoon. And that's what it would take for us to do what we did. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that it's going to be a whole new reality.
0: At this point, Hill says, enough with the handouts. They didn't save him anyway. It's time to accept reality.
2: I really don't think that they should hand out any more money. Yeah, I think that people should survive if they're meant to. And, you know, those of us who are downtown, I mean, this is a downtown restaurant. A lot of these restaurants boarded up two years ago. We were just the guy that hung on for so long. But as far as helping me downtown, I don't know what else they could do. Lori Thomas does.
0: She's the executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, an industry advocacy group that's been scrambling to support its members through the pandemic and collaborate with other organizations to mobilize a response. When I tell Thomas about what Bruce Hill thinks about just letting things run their course—
1: she makes it clear she's not on board with that. He, he sounds like my husband. We had this conversation <laughs> on the way down to my family the other day in the car, and we were talking about your article, the Chronicle article, and, and, and uh, he w- he said exactly the same thing. Why are you trying to fight this fight, Lori? Why, why not let—and I said, because I don't want to be Detroit. Are
0: we at risk of becoming a hollowed-out city? Thomas isn't quite going that far— but it's on her mind because the financial pressures of running a restaurant have only gotten more
1: intense in recent years. There's so many variables. Where Where's your lease at? What was your, you know, debt structure coming into the pandemic? You know, did you owe a lot of money? Were you caught up? Do you still owe your investors? Because when you build a restaurant, it costs millions of dollars to put it in and, and there's always some sort of money that comes in, Right. You can't just open the doors. And and so it depended on how you were s- structured before, how stable your business was, how successful your business was, where you were in your lease cycle, and where your other costs were. How well a restaurant is doing really depends on what neighborhood it's in. Every area of the city isn't isn't
0: hurting the same way. What she means by that, after a break. Lori Thomas, restaurant owner and head of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, isn't ready to say that local food businesses have re-emerged from the pandemic. Nor is she saying that they're all doomed. In fact, it depends a lot on their
1: location. I think we, we can see that, and we know this from a lot of data points, that the economic core area of San Francisco has not seen the foot traffic return. And we are still way behind on the number of of foot traffics in these core areas. And why does that matter? Because those are the customers, right? Without without people, you don't have, you know, the spending going on that you need. Now in the neighborhoods, they have benefited. Myself have benefited. Out in Cowhallow, there's People that, you know, are working from home, they're more inclined to go get lunch at Rose's Cafe. There's people that, you know, it's easier for them to to go out for dinner because they didn't just commute an hour and they're exhausted. We were able to take much more advantage of the shared spaces program, which, you know, I've been an advocate of and fought hard for the whole time and has been critical to survival of so many restaurants. Because, you know, you can build outdoor seating in parklets when it's not like a super busy downtown corridor with bus lines and all that yeah, stuff right yeah. so the neighborhoods have benefited every area of the city isn't isn't hurting the same way i just got some new data from open table i need to take a look at the number of reservations that were at per zip code in 2019 to 2022 mm-hmm. and you can see some are down and some are up significantly right wow. and and i think yeah. we're going to see when we take a look at it that the neighborhoods are the ones that have benefited Neighborhood businesses and restaurants.
0: But even there, things don't look as good as they did pre-pandemic. To be
1: fair, 2019 is a hard year to beat. 2019 was a a heck of a year to target stuff off of, right? It was like one of the best years many of us ever saw. In the travel Mm -hmm. industry, the number of hotel rooms, the number of visitors, the amount of money for discretionary spending on restaurants and bars and stuff. 2019 is a really high bar to compare yourself to.
0: And COVID hasn't disappeared. Last week, the popular restaurant Zuni Cafe closed for a week because of a surge of cases among its staff. That's the other concern
1: that I have is that, you know, we are starting to see infections come back again. We are starting to see hospitals get full and we are starting to see some, some increase in the death rates, unfortunately. And so, you know, I don't think that we can just say, wow, you know, the good times are back.
0: It's becoming increasingly clear, though, that downtown in particular is not going to go back to anywhere near normal. Unfortunately, that presents a sort of feedback loop. It's something Thomas has talked over with a variety of different downtown stakeholders.
1: People have been like, well, what do we do downtown and how do we activate that? And you will hear or you heard, this was, you know, six, seven months ago, business leaders saying, well, you know, to get people back to the office, their employees, they want to have more activities, more restaurants open, more bars open, more things to do because what happened to business owners is, We had to pare back the hours. So, you know, they would like to see more activity. And I understand that. But as a business owner, you know, we can't just do it out of the goodness of our heart, right? We have to have customers.
0: So business groups are saying we might be able to encourage our staff to go back to the office if there were appealing restaurant and nightlife options there. And Thomas and restaurant owners are saying we need office workers and other people to come back downtown in order for us to have the clientele that will allow us to run restaurants and bars there. Thomas says this is where government could step in. She suggests a subsidy program that would cover operating costs for restaurants for the first year or year and a half of their existence. And after that, hopefully, the established clientele would be enough to sustain the business.
1: And how do we fund that type of thing is going to be the conundrum, (laughs) right? So I'm not saying the city comes up with all this money, and I'm not saying it's a grant program. But maybe it's similar to the payroll protection program, where somehow the city, with whatever access to funding we have at a state or federal level, or private funding—you know, why limit it to to government funding— has to come up with an incentive that is significant enough, not a $2,000 waiver on some, you know, permit fee. That would be helpful for super small businesses. But, but if you want to have somebody build out a restaurant, invest in an area, make a huge capital investment of like, you know, $2 million to build out a restaurant and open one, and then pay the staff, and the payroll costs are super high in the city, right? Because we have yeah. a good minimum wage. We have the fixed healthcare spend. We have a lot of other things that add, add to the costs of doing business in, in San Francisco. You could have a loan type program, like a payroll protection program, where you said, hey, Lori, we'd like you to come in, make this huge investment and take a risk. And we know you're not going to have customers for 18 months. Or you might have a few, but it's not going to be enough. And then you could say if you commit to being open these days a week, these hours, you know, we'll give you this forgivable loan that can be used to ensure that you can make your payroll. I mean, why can't we come up with something like that?
0: She floated this in an article by my colleague Noah Arroyo, who you heard earlier interviewing Bruce Hill about Zero Zero. He ran it by the city's Office of Economic and Workforce Development, which described such an idea as unfeasible without significant state and federal investment. They also say San Francisco has been the conduit for some $83 million in tax relief, grants, and loans for small business owners. But Thomas says the status quo can't be the end of the thought process. I asked her about the potential fallout of things going on the way they have, and restaurants continuing
1: to shut down. Are we risking our reputation as a food destination? I think you're going to see changes to the type of food opportunities. Unless we say we want to have, you know, restaurants in these areas and businesses. And it's much like Twitter, right? The city did a deal to get Twitter to come in years ago, right? It was a payroll. It was a payroll credit, much to what I'm suggesting we consider for restaurants. There was a conscious effort to develop that industry in San Francisco, and, and it was successful for a long time. So, you know, shouldn't we do that for restaurants? Because otherwise, We're gonna have the same thing we see with income inequality happen with restaurants. This is Lori's view of the world. So you're gonna get the super high-end places that only the upper class can afford, the super wealthy. And then you're gonna get the fast casual. So I'm not talking McDonald's, but there's tons of really cool little places that are fast casual. And, And what will happen is the restaurants kind of like mine and a little bit higher end than mine, which are full sit down, full service, where we're employing all these people, that will go away. Those restaurants won't be able to survive because their cost profile will be too high. And so you'll get the fast casual, the little places you're seeing, the smaller places, things that lend themselves to delivery and to go only, not to dine in. And you'll get the super high-end ones. And the middle will be gutted out.
0: Despite all these pressures, Thomas says collaboration, especially across industries, has been one of the silver linings of the pandemic. She was tapped to participate in the city's Economic Recovery Task Force, charged with steering the city through COVID-19. She describes the city and many of the different private entities that joined forces during the pandemic as good partners who really worked together when things got bad.
1: It has really been one of the positive things out of the pandemic is all of the people that I've been privileged to, to get working relationship with and some that have become, you know, more than that, friends and trusted confidants. And advisors, just like the Chronicle has has come up with SF Next, I think maybe we should reconvene the task force that we had. And I know it's a lot of work for the city. I'll probably get like you know booze <laughs> when I say this, but I, I would like to see us reconvene the. The task force or a similar group of people, and I think there was like 83 people on the task force plus other people. And it was all across, you know, business and advisory groups and city and faith leaders and small business and large business and everybody.
0: Organizations known as community benefit districts, business groups, and other neighborhood-level coalitions have been putting their heads together about the problem of an empty downtown. SFNext has covered some of these ideas, too. Check them out at sfchronicle.com sfnext. Proposals so far include a reimagining of downtown's windy ghost town streets, turning them into brightly lit and cozy miniature plazas with outdoor seating and street trees and planters. There's also been a lot of talk about whether big, empty office buildings could be converted into housing, which is an extremely expensive idea that would probably take a subsidy of its own. But reinventing and rebuilding anything takes years, and Thomas says whether it's with a city task force or just a group of private stakeholders, We need things to happen now.
1: I think we should reconvene and keep working on ideas like this and work as a team and follow brainstorming rules. Don't be like, Laurie, that's a stupid idea. Let everybody put their ideas out there and try to see what ideas or subsets of ideas could work. Mm -hmm. Because this is not an easy problem and we got to think short term. You know, and and putting prettier trees on the streets isn't the answer, right? Like, there has to be real answers.
0: Unfortunately, there were no good answers for Bruce Hill and Zero Zero, despite everyone's best efforts. Hill's, his staffs, the city's. One of the worst parts for Hill is thinking about how this crisis affected his employees. It's been challenging,
2: you know, to think about the people brings out the emotion in me, but the work is the work. And... I'm a restaurant operator, owner, chef, and work to be done. So, you know, we, we feel those emotions, and at the same time, stuff's still dirty or stuff still has to be prepped. So, we go dig in it, and I have to say that the work is part of the therapy. So, you know, the work you do kind of gets you out of the emotion for a little while.
0: Hill is pondering his future, and his colleagues' futures.
2: I'm gonna take some time to reflect and look at what I want to do next. I'm 61 years old. I wasn't expecting to retire right now. I got a feeling that in the next couple months, we're going to see more closures, especially of big restaurants.
0: Lori Thomas is looking ahead, too. She acknowledges that there's been progress on important fronts, but the restaurant industry still needs action.
1: I think we're moving in the right direction, but I, I think we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. And we want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at SFNext. I'm Laura Wenis. Next time on Fixing Our City. In October, SF Next brought 170 people together in a room to think through some of our thorniest problems. Local thought leaders shared their perspectives, which you can now listen to in full. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.